Okay, here we go with another podcast, and this is going to be a great one. I got one of the greatest guys ever who has done so much for diabetes and just an amazing person. Phil Sutherland from, oh my God, you've got so many titles now. You're the, what, the CEO of Team Novo Nordisk. I also assume you're CEO for Super Sapiens. You're an author. You're an accomplished cyclist. You know, what the hell else do you do? Well, I, you know, there's also the Team Type 1 Foundation. So we can't, can't forget that one. There you go. So why, let, let's, let's start way, way back in the day because I know that your story is pretty well known, but there are some people who maybe don't know it. So kind of give them your log cabin, how you got to be who you are. Yeah, I mean, well, David, it's it's good to good to be be with you. I've seen the momentum of the podcast going. Good to see you know it's not just your your words out educating now, but uh, the voice of the diabetic investor and my good buddy Dave Cliff. So um, yeah, great great to be with you. The story, I think, you know, is yeah, you know, I was diagnosed with diabetes at seven months of age. My parents were told I'd be dead or blind by twenty five, and you know, they learned early. You know, at that time, I had you know, squeezing urine out of a test strip to get my glucose. Then blood glucose testing became available. They were checking my glucose as an infant 10 times a day, found out if I was active and moving, you know, my insulin worked better and my numbers were better. So, you know, at that time when diabetics weren't supposed to compete in sport because of the risk of hypo, they said, screw it and push me into sport, which was, uh, I think the best thing they could have ever done. So it's, you know, they, within a week of competing in sport, I figured out two things. If I had good control of my glucose, I could win. And if I did not control my glucose, I would fail. And so you can say for the last 33 years, I've been hyper obsessed about glucose control as a proxy for performance and sport, you know, first uh, on my own account. And then now through the athletes of team type one, team Nova Nordisk, and with super sapiens, bringing that to uh, athletes without diabetes who, you know, have the same challenges those of us with diabetes do fueling for performance. So Played all the normal sports a kid would play. Had supportive family. You know, I was short. I had a. I've got eleven toenails, and my middle name is Philpot. So my friends had plenty of things to make fun of me for. You know, outside of diabetes, and so diabetes was just something I always dealt with as a kid. I didn't ever know life any other way. Well, at twelve, I started riding bikes to eat Snickers bars. I, you know, I had one at a candy at school. My glucose went to three thirty. I knew that was bad. You know, I was. I wanted a one C in the sixes worked really hard and said, well, I want this candy bar, but I don't want to wait two hours for the insulin to work. Found I could go ride my bike to the gas station, eat it, and then go ride around the neighborhood until my legs hurt. And that was kind of my modus operandus for a little while. I wasn't really good when we started, but you know, I stuck with it, worked hard, and eventually got to eighth place at junior national championships in high school. You know, again, that was in the days of BGM and, you know, older basal insulins, newer rapid insulins. Then by 23, I was again, ninth place in the, the nation, or excuse me, by 21, ninth in the nation at the U23 National Road Race Championships in College Station, Texas, 200 kilometer bike race. Again, that was in BGM with the early days of basal bolus. In college, I met my buddy, Joe, you know, helped him take control of his glucose, get motivated to saw how much that benefited his life and school and sport and just competence. And, you know, as a kid finishing college, you know, realized, you know, Joe said, Phil, you saved my life. You know, thank you. You're my hero. And my life shifted and said, well, maybe I can use the bike as a platform to inspire, educate, and empower people affected by diabetes. So started team type one, like 
and conceptually at least, uh, on a 500 kilometer bike ride from Athens, Georgia to Tallahassee, Florida. I didn't, I was too poor. I couldn't afford a car in college and had to get home finals week, screwed up my training. So I, I did a 32 hour week on the bike just to get back home for Christmas. And, um, the next, my mom, I said, mom, I'm starting this. She goes, well, do you have a business plan? I said, a what? And she said, four and a half years at the university of Georgia, you don't know what a business plan is. You're going to fail. I was like, no, nah, this is going to happen. And she goes, you don't know what a business plan is? You know, and I was 70000 in debt, not her. But still, I kind of was thinking, hmm. Well, lo and behold, 2005, my final semester in college, business plan class project was 25% of the grade. I asked Professor Epperson, Dr. Epperson if I could do team type one. He said, ah, it's not sustainable. You're not going to make any money. This is just a charity project. You know, no. So I came back from the next day. I said, Dr. Epperson, you know, I'm, I'm going to start this business. I think we can help a lot of people with diabetes. I promise you I'll succeed. I just need a good foundation. And all right, kid, you got the Midas touch. Go ahead. And part of the early part of that class was doing surveys and you know, was going to you know, ask random people, if I started this business, you know, would you make donations? Would you fund it? Would you support it? And this one guy, Daniel Hopkins, said, what would you do with $400? So I said, I'd buy t-shirts and business cards because that that's what I was selling in college at the time. And he said, all right, well, he took out four Ben Franklins. You know, put it, I said, sir, I can't take money. And those who know me and the, the pharma and industry place, me saying I can't take money. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago, right? Ha, ha, ha. And he put the $400 bills on the table. He put his coffee cup on top and said, take this money or else someone else is going to have a great day at Starbucks. So that was February 22nd, 2005. You know, we drove to the bank, you know, created team type one, went to work, spent $387 day one. Uh, we were broke again, but I bought a hundred t-shirts, you know, a thousand business cards. And then if you could breathe in Athens, Georgia, you bought a shirt. And Sold enough of them to get to a JDRF ride to cure in Carmel, California. And I gave the keynote speech there. You know, Joe and I were riding together. Yeah, and it was the sentiment in the room was this is positive. You know, this this is showing that you can do something with diabetes. We need more of this because you know, if you flash back to 05, I'm you know, David, you remember it was doom and gloom, right? It was everything you couldn't do, everything you were gonna fail out, all the restrictions in life. And oh yeah, if you had diabetes, you're gonna go blind, you're gonna suffer complications, give money to give it a cure. And I, I was sick of that. And so this great group of people at JDRF became my advisors. I, we agreed to do the race across America. And, um, and that was really the start of you know, this momentum. I was 23, looked like I was 16, needed to raise $250,000 in cash and product to put the team in the, in the race. I got about a hundred grand out of the bike industry, you know, from bikes, helmets, clothes, amazing support, you know, showing up at Interbike, which is, it's like ESD for cycling, except everyone wears shorts and a t-shirt. And I was, I showed up in a suit and a tie walking around Las Vegas. It was, what is this? Where did you get lost? How'd you end up here? So got that. And then the next month, you know, I got put on a continuous glucose monitor trial and, you know, in 20 days of seeing the data in front of me, I learned more about what everything did to my body than the previous you know, 23 years of obsessing and succeeding in my own diabetes management. And I said to my doctor, Bruce Bodie, I said, Bruce, if we're going to do this race, you know, we cannot afford to die in the middle of the country. We cannot afford to send negative signal out to the diabetes world. Like I need this technology. And he said, well, let me introduce to Abbott. They'll give you the product. They'll sponsor you. And I went out and 
met with Holly Culp, Steve Bubrick, Marisol Pinello, and Kurt Genuine back in January of 06, you know, gave the full pitch. And Holly that night, you know, over a good glass of wine, which, you know, that was the first time I ever drank wine, but I pretended it tasted good. And, you know, so Holly said, you know, Phil, Jeff and I have been fortunate, you know, your team will do this race. And so that was it. You know, we, that's where we started. We, we did the race and, you know, you can say, I mean, looking back to 2006, it's kind of like the rest is history. You're, you're almost like a walking clinical trial from where you started to where you are. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think I've used 13 different types of insulin. Uh, I don't know how many different types of glucagon, every CGM, every, every product that's out there, I've tested all of them and it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you got to, not at 10 different people doing the same thing. I'm going to get 10 different results from a glucose exposure standpoint. So it's all about finding what works for you in this new day and age. Now, now tell people about your team. Let's talk about the cycling team first. You've done, you've, you've raised a profile for diabetes and I still want to see you guys at Tour de France. It's, you know, that's one of my goals in life. Tell us about kind of the reaction you get from non-diabetics. What, what do they say? So I think that's, it's changed over time, right? Today they see our team racing and my guys, it's taken us a long time, but we have the respect of the Peloton. We show up to the races, we put on a fight, we achieve our objectives. You know, we're not winning races all the time, but we have got to a good level where we can compete. So now diabetes is normal in the professional Peloton. But if you go back into 2008, when we first entered the world of professional cycling as a mixed team, you know, we were doing our shots under the table, you know, it's because needles and cycling were, were banned. And we were very like reluctant to talk about what we were doing, show what we were doing for a while. And it was di- people with diabetes racing professionally. Pff, that's not possible. It was a joke, frankly. But then I retired and we rec- recruited better riders. And then very quickly, thanks to like Javier Mejias, you know, we started to get big results at big races with our riders with diabetes. And people started to say, huh, there's something here. But we had four riders with diabetes able to compete professionally at that time. We went from a division three team, you know, with a small budget, you know, racing around the world, you know, with always having one rider with diabetes. And then, but the profile got better. We got into bigger races, got better results at bigger races. And the diabetes team kind of made waves for what was possible, but it was as a, as a mixed team. And you know, had a, we had a good partnership with Sanofi. I had a lot of deep friendships there. They, they got us going in the world of professional cycling. But ultimately, in 2012, I got a chance to meet Jakob Ries at Nova Nordisk. And, you know, I, I gave the presentation for what I wanted to do. And Jakob, you know, had had a discussion with uh, Jersey Grun, who was the president of NNI at the time, Lars, Lars Rabin Sorensen, the CEO of Nova Nordisk, and came back with a interesting proposal. You know, Phil you know, we'd be delighted to go into business with you and sponsor your team and activate the changing diabetes platform on a global scale through our affiliates everywhere. We will we will activate this relationship and we will do it on a long-term basis. If and only if you go back to your roots, you know, from 2006 to 2007 as an all diabetes team. And, you know, I didn't know if we could do it. I had four athletes who had ever raced bikes professionally before with diabetes. But I did what I always do when I need to solve a problem, which was I went on bike rides. And, you know, after, and I just said, you know what, this is the purity that the world of diabetes needs. If we can work with Nova Nordisk on the change in diabetes platform and access to medicine, changing diabetes in children in the developing world, which has been a big passion of mine uh, since 2010, 
then you know what? It's the right thing for people with diabetes. Let's do it. And yeah, I had again, I had four athletes that I knew could race at this level, but I wrote and said, yes, we'll, we'll do this. And then I give credit to Vasily Davidenko, Sergei Davidenko, who have been with me for 13, 14 years now. We scoured the planet for anyone with diabetes who had a lick of you know, physical capability and brought them into our organization. And you know, CGM was a big part of you know, what they did. We've, we've raced with CGM since 2008 in the world of professional cycling, but systematically coming up with an educational platform you know, I had 16 athletes, 17 athletes from 10 different countries. Most had never used a CGM before, all varying levels of education. And we really had to systematize control. I mean, if you look at our team at the beginning, our results were laughable. You know, we had a team of athletes with diabetes who got good professional contracts without ever going through the process of getting to that level. So, you know, we were treated like crap in the Peloton. You know, they, the other guys said, these guys got contracts and they didn't earn it. They didn't fight it for it like we did. They had no idea what our riders had been through. And, you know, the journey, like that first year, 12 of the 18 riders on Team Nova Nordisk, when they were diagnosed, were told, you will never race a bike again. Yet these guys persisted. They overcame and put themselves in a position of vulnerability to race against the best athletes in the world. And we got our heads kicked in for a while. But once we came up with this glucose scoring system to help like really systematize getting our levels into the right range, we started to perform better. And that performance led to confidence, the confidence led to results. And slowly we earned respect within the Peloton. So that sensing technology improved, the accuracy improved, you know, our results improved. And like I had a conceptual patent on getting glucose to a bike computer back in 2009. You know, it's, I talked about this with those in the CGM space back as early as 2007 of there's a market for this, you know, and my athletes need it first and foremost. And we partnered with a few companies to try and pull it off. Ultimately, it was Chip Hawkins, who's the CEO of Wahoo Fitness, who managed to get my glucose data from the sensor to my bike computer. And in 15 days of seeing every data point in front of me while exercising, I learned more about optimizing you know, nutrition on the bike than in the previous 15 years of having a CGM in my jersey pocket. And you know, I was like, I got to bring this to market somehow. And kept hearing from people without diabetes, like, I don't have diabetes, but I buy that. I don't have diabetes, but I buy that. And met some good people in the world of business, young endurance athlete, entrepreneurs. And we put a plan together. And you know, that's led to this new age of now everyone in the world of sport wants sensors. So it's, obvi it's obvious that the most transformative technology that you've seen in your lifetime is CGM. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's interesting what you say, because listen, I'm not your level athlete. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to slow white Jewish guy, you know, I'm the rear, I'm in the rear with the gear, but you know, I, I was telling somebody the other day that when I first started running marathons, you know, you, you know, you know, it was like back then you're wearing a wire pump and they didn't have CGM back then, or at least they didn't have it like they have it now. And you know, he, you know, here I am, I'm about to turn 60 years old and I'm probably training better than I ever have yep. all because of the technology. Yep. You know, when I was a, a kid racing bikes, you know, bike, the cycling was my freedom. I, I didn't take a meter. I didn't take insulin. I just took food. And for me, that was like, I was normal because everyone on the bike has to eat. Then I, I remember like I had a system that I thought worked and I think I was on Medtronic CGM in 99 where you, you get inserted into your back and then you 
then take it to the doctor. They pull it out and you get the results. And I saw how crazy my glucose was in the race and how high I spiked. I was like, what does that, but we didn't, you know, was that real data? I don't, I don't know, but that was my first experience with the technology. Then I, then 2005, when I got to see it in front of me, I mean, that was the, aha, uh -huh, the, the, the trends and, you know, okay, one, what's, what's a hundred glucose of a hundred, right? Is it good? Is it bad? Well, are you a hundred and flat? Are you a hundred with an arrow straight up or arrow straight down? It just, it's so transformative for, you know, for people with diabetes, the amount and the timing of your injections of insulin or how, you know, I'm a needle junkie, uh, but, or for those on a pump, you know, the adjustments in basal that you do all based on the trend. So, you know, I, I've got to give credit to everyone who's been involved in the CGM space. There's been a bunch of companies who have not made it. They made the ones who did made it, you know, even better, you know, soft spot in my heart for Abbott. I always will. You know, they took a real big chance on me 16 years, 15 years ago. And now Team Nova Nordis is the greatest global source of hope and inspiration for people with diabetes. But, you know, I also have to give credit to Dexcom. You know, they, they did, they've made a lot of progress and have had that laser focus for people with diabetes. That's, you know, again, looking at how far the technology has come in the last 15 years from the usability, scalability, it's truly inspiring. And thinking of how, where's it going to be five, 10, 15 years from now, it's like, ah, the sky's really the limit, right? Well, you know, in, in a strange way, your your life almost mirrors kind of the evolution of diabetes technology, because as you as you know, I write a lot about how the next step for CGM are non-diabetics, you know, and there'd already been some, you know, work on, you know, weight loss with CGM, like what you're doing with super sapiens, you know, enhancing performance. And and I would, I would assume, like, because right now you're working with pretty much elite athletes with super sapiens, correct? But obviously, listen, there's guys like me, you know, a weekender guy, whatever you want to call me, you know, an old guy who would benefit from that as well. Is, is that the future for super sapiens? Absolutely. There, there are 7 billion people in this world who would benefit from being on a CGM. You can't change what you don't have visibility to. And just the timing of what people eat, when they eat it, you know, the dawn phenomenon that us people with diabetes, you know, have dealt with and battled with forever. Well, guess what? That happens to people without diabetes too. The massive spikes in glucose that I get, that my athletes get at the start of a competition, guess what? Athletes without diabetes get that too. I, I had, um, you know, three U.S. Olympians, you know, that are of an older generation, Olympic medalists, winners of stages of the Tour de France, uh, who were Bobby Jewell, George Hengappy. Christian Vanderbilt and this friend of mine, Jeff Brown, doing a race. You know, they're under the clinical trial for us. And we got back their data from a three and a half hour bike race. Guess what the average glucose of these guys without diabetes was? 172, 178, <laughs> 179. <laughs> and, and, so, you know, and you know, I've worked with the likes of you know, Howard Zisser, Frank Doyle, you know, Aaron Kowalski are working to solve this. The closed loop exercise has always been the black box. Yeah. Right, they, they've never been able to figure out exercise and what to do in the body's response. So the thing that my plan here with this is we're going to see a lot about you know, that black box in normal human physiology, and then with the robust data sets that we're having and the scientists like that we have working around the team to bring that back to the diabetes community, and maybe perhaps we can finally solve the closed loop and not just have a closed loop that works as you're sitting on your desk and you're eating meals, and but one that can work when you go out and exercise as well. And the importance of exercise when you have diabetes, like it's 
to me, it's it's the same as a CGM. It's the same as insulin. It, you have to do it, right? You you know how much better you are when you exercise, right? It's almost, it's almost funny because, you know, you and I both wear a lot of devices and we, and we relish those rare times where we quote unquote take a naked shower. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking that, oh my God, all of a sudden non-diabetics are going to know what that means because, you know, it, it, it is amazing the evolution of not only the CGM technology, but what we've learned from that data set, that massive data set, and how much more we will be learning over the years, because now we have advanced analytics. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember when I, when I first started using all these toys, I, I had an Excel spreadsheet that had my, you know, it had my glucose in one column, you know, my, my basal rates in another, you know, and then, you know, I, I don't remember what track, I think I was using a Garmin back then, you know, and so I was trying to put all this data together, you know, manually to see, you know, when I should hydrate, you know, when should I be taking Gatorade, when should I be taking water, what should I start my race at, you know, it is kind of amazing how this is all about. Yeah, I mean, it's, what's cool, you know, the people, and again, these are massive leaders in sport that I got involved in the organization, and what they say to me is, holy crap, this is freaking me out. Like trying to control this with a functional pancreas is, is, is just mind-blowing. And the continued feedback I get from our customers, you know, those on tri- clinical trial, are the level of respect I have for a person with diabetes now, it's exponentially different than it was yesterday. And you know, again, I want the world to understand what we go through. And the only way the world is going to understand all the crap we have to deal with as people with diabetes is to see the data for themselves and see what happens with the spike, see how they feel when they have a relative hypoglycemia. And that's going to create this empathetic connection and unification. And at the same token, this kid with diabetes, when he sees you know, Chris Froome, four-time Tour de France winner, who's you know, an investor in the company and advisor to us, loves the technology. When they see Chris Froome using it, after having won the Tour de France four times, it's going to make that kid who didn't want CGM because he didn't want to be different say, you know what, I'm going to use that technology now too. Well, I'm also making the assumption that, you know, you know, somebody listening to this might say, well, sounds like super sapiens only for endurance athletes, but I'm assuming this would apply to any athlete. Uh, it's, you know, we, we've got tennis players, golfers. I've got, I think, 16 Premier League football teams, soccer teams on product now, you know, weightlifters, swimmers, just every Formula One. And we've got 20 Formula One drivers now, you know, using the technology. You can explain how that works for Formula One? That seems so odd. Well, right now we're just using it for retrospective analysis, right? And, you know, letting them see what's happening. And then once, you know, our wrist reader comes to market, you know, the discu- you know, interesting discussions I have. I mean, this journey with Super Savings and the people I've met and the leaders in the sports world and like those people who have started small companies who are now unicorn status, you know, who are now my advisors, investors. I mean, it's just been a fascinating journey. But discussion this morning now was, is the material on the wrist reader, you know, fireproof? Like what level of fireproof is it? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to redevelop because hardware to anyone in, in this space who's created hardware, like my respect for what you've done has grown exponentially in the past year developing our own piece of hardware. I'm not going to redevelop a fireproof band for 20 Formula One drivers. But 
you know, what is the casing we can put on the outside of it that can, you know, then have it fit inside the car in the right place. But it's just the quantified self is the new way of life. And, you know, it's been really exciting seeing the caliber of people who not just want to use the technology, but are now thriving off the data and the questions they're asking. It's, it's truly beautiful. Kit, is there any way that you see this morphing into, you know, right now, the big trend, obviously, is digital health. Everybody you know, and their mother has this damn thing. And, you know, there's there's so many different schools thought on this. But, you know, I ultimately believe at some point somebody, and maybe you're the guy, who's going to say, okay, I'm going to help that average Joe. He's not really an athlete. He's just, you know, he's he's a poor guy who's got diabetes. doesn't have to be type 1. It could be type 2. Here's Here's what this data means to you. You know, because there's so much me too in this business. You know, you think super sapiens maybe could morph into that where it's more of a, I don't want to call it a Lavando or a Teledactyl, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a big part of what we're doing is education right now. So we're developing our 12 week education platform for all coaches, for all our ambassadors. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very complex data set. Now, when you look at, does it more, you know, we are not intended for use for people with diabetes, like just to be clear. And that, it pains me to say that, but you know, the range is 55 to 200, not intended for use for people with diabetes. But do I think that the CGM companies like such a should folk, you know, type two diabetics absolutely would benefit from CGM. I think it's going to be the key, you know, fundamental key for reversing the trends, you know, for, it's like when you start to exercise and you're obese and the challenges that the obese population have are immense from the mental health dis- disorders. So fundamentally, I think everyone with type two should be on a CGM. And you know, if in the the pre-diabetes, I think it would be a great tool. Yeah, it just you see what a, a Coca-Cola does to you, and you say you you know it's bad. You've known it's bad your whole life, but now you see the data and you see. It's so funny that you mentioned that because. I have a very good friend of mine, type one, and I finally got him on a Dexcom G6. And I said, I said, Mike, you're going to be a little bit overwhelmed in the beginning because, you know, you know what it's like. All of a sudden you're seeing this and it is kind of an overwhelming experience in the beginning yeah. you know, until you kind of learn how to adapt to your data and how to, how to transform that data into an action plan, you know, and that's kind of, I agree with you. I think, you know, for type twos and, and really quite honestly, you don't even have to be a type two. You can be, like you said, you could be obese, pre-diabetes, whatever you want to call it. Because, yeah. you know, I read these stories of people who have gone on CGM and, you know, like you say, you know, they always knew what pizza wasn't really great for them. But when they see it, you know, in fact, I think the funniest one was uh, Dr. Schuyler said to me, he would never eat a baked potato ever again after seeing how it looks on a CGM. With that mentality, though, we're getting into, and I have great respect for Dr. Schuyler, but with that mentality, we're getting into the data driving to things you can't do, right? And so here, here's the, the, the fundamental is you know, my whole principle in diabetes has always been make adjustments to say yes, because you know, I don't want to create a boring society by showing people, oh, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. We have this, let's go, I've got some phenomenal, I, I feel you know, facetious saying this, we have phenomenal Mexican restaurants here in Atlanta, Georgia. I, I know, you know, in your paradise of San Diego, you you probably have some phenomenal you know ones also. But when you go to our creative work lunch, right, and you know, again, I've got my employees on a clinical trial, we're looking at the data, 
if I go there without exercise, you know, to eat the chips, salsa, guacamole, my salmon tacos, and perhaps some like adult lemonade that is just so phenomenal at La Fonda, you know, I need to do 15 to 18 units of insulin and I'll typically give four injections over the course of the meal, like one 15 minutes before, one when I sit down, another one halfway through. I, you know, I've done, I don't know, 160,000 injections in my life. So four at one meal, doesn't, it's, it's mine. Yeah. My employees, their glucose will go up to the 190s and then crash back down. If we go exercise before, the spike is greatly mitigated. You know, I'll, instead of 18 units of insulin, if I, if I ride my bike for three hours, I need two to three units of insulin. And so that's me, right? Personal diabetes. Well, if my president for Super Sapiens, Todd, went on a 10 mile run and he's a crazy runner before this creative lunch. Well, instead of going to 190 and crashing back down, he went to 118 and then settled down. So baked potatoes are great. Mashed potatoes are better. So, you know, Dr. Schuyler, you know, Jay, if you're, if you're listening, don't give up on the potatoes. Just go on a long walk before, before the next time you eat one. Well, you know, what I'm really hoping for that happens out of all of this, because, you know, I've always divided the diabetic world into basically three pretty, you know, active groups. There's, you know, 10% of us are, you know, we're active, we're engaged, we get up, we're down with it. We're, you know, you know, for lack of a better term, we're bored with our toys. And then in the other end, you got about 20% of the patients. I don't care what you do. They're never going to be engaged with their diabetes. I don't care what you do with these people. But in the middle there, you got 70% of the patients. They know diabetes is serious and they know they need to do something about it. And that is, I, I, I read about this all the time. I want they, these people that want to live with it, not for it. Yeah. And, you know, my hope is that, like you said, that they're not giving up stuff but they're learning how to balance their life and to live the diabetes life that they want without creating any long-term harm. Yeah, and I agree with kind of the three brackets, but there's that the 20% that you mentioned that no matter what, never gonna be engaged. I, we, we can't give up on that group, right? And I, I wanna go back in time. You know, I was traveling, I used to travel the country with sales reps, going to meet with doctors and talk about my experience. It was, it was great to see how the industry works from, you know, call it the ground up. But I had this talk that I gave and one girl showed up, right? And that was it. And her name was McKenna. This was in Boise, Idaho. And her diabetes educator was with her and said, McKenna has been struggling and she doesn't have any motivation. So I sat there just asking McKenna questions for 30 minutes after. What do you like to do? Nothing. What do you do? Nothing. What's your A1C? 13.9%. And then explaining the complications that would happen if she did not take control. And I, I stayed in touch with McKenna you know, over email and like, you know, she started checking a little bit more, started being a little bit more engaged, but still the fire wasn't there until you know, she turned 15, she found a boyfriend and that, that was the light for her. But because her boyfriend cared and wanted her to be healthy long-term, she took control. So we, we have to remember that there, there are those people on the far side who diabetes sucks. This is miserable. This is horrible. We've got to find a way to give them the light switch just to show that yeah, it's, it's not bad. Like in, in this day and age, it's not bad if you have the tools, right? If you have the tools. You know, speaking of which, because you've done a lot of charity work, you know, can you, can you speak to kind of, are you still involved with that? Are you doing the Rwanda? I remember you're doing something in Rwanda or. Yeah. I mean, Rwanda been going since 2010 and 
my dear friend, Francois Jishoma, unfortunately passed away last week uh, due to COVID. You know, he's the reason I came there. There were 300 kids with diabetes when I first made the plans to go to Rwanda. In 2010, I nearly bankrupt Team Type 1. Someone, important sponsor, made a commitment to me, shook my hand, and then halfway through the year said, we're not going to give you $300,000. So from a business sustainability standpoint, I got an important lesson. They said, well, Phil, don't count the money until you sign the contract. I said, well, you shook my hand, you promised, but lo and behold. So needless to say, we had plans for Rwanda. It wasn't good for the budget. We shouldn't have done it, but it, it needed to happen. And so I took 400 meters and 37,000 test trips over there in bike boxes, gave them the diabetes clinic. You know, they said afterwards, you know, Phil, we tell these kids every day they're going to be fine, but they look at us like we're liars because everyone they've ever known with diabetes has died a miserable death from diabetes. And I, I saw kids in the clinic, 12 years old with foot amputations. You saw the, the stunted growth. They had different insulins. Yeah, it was it was chaos there. But Francois was trying to build a better mousetrap. And, and we came back, you know, the Minister of Health at the time said, I want to care for him, but I don't have money. You know, so that next summer I went to Macedonia you know, in 2011. And I'd been making regular trips back to Rwanda with test trips and meters in the bike boxes. And I met my wife, Biliana, mother of three beautiful boys. We've been together for, I can't believe it's gonna be 10 years now, but she was leading the national program for diabetes for the Macedonian Ministry of Health. And, you know, I sh they were providing one to two test trips a day and random insulins. I just said, look, if you keep these minor investments, you're gonna be paying a much higher cost years down the road. And she said, what do I need to do? I said, 10 to 15 test trips per day, basal bullets, insulin, insulin pumps, and you got to take care of the education and fund the diabetes camp. And, you know, in a few months time through her ministry of health, they got money that WHO had allocated for HIV, which was no longer needed. They got that reallocated to diabetes and provided six to 15 test trips per day and all the, everything I had asked for, you know, and it was just one chance encounter and maybe a little love that caused her to go ensure that the people with diabetes in Macedonia had better access to test strips than I did in America at the time. So I introduced her to the Ministry of Health in Rwanda. They formalized a plan. Thanks to Helmsley Foundation, a million dollars in funding came in. Then the World Diabetes Foundation, another million dollars in funding came in. And now there's healthcare infrastructure for people with diabetes in, in Rwanda. 34 clinics have nurses trained to look for you know, the symptoms of diabetes. They have the tools to do diagnosis. And then they have hospitals of excellence that patients get sent to, to go get trained. In 2018, they had migrated to where insulin was on the health, the formulary. And if you live in Rwanda, you have to have insurance. It's mandated. And if you have insurance, insulin was now part of that program. Massive breakthrough for us. But test strips were still just this like untouchable, you know, tool out there. And so I, I was calling, you know, companies like just trying to broker a deal. I know what they cost. I was trying to get at least a fair price because the government was willing to buy. And, you know, I got one guy running a U.S. company said, I'll do them for 37 cents a strip. And I said, man, come on, be real. Phil, I'm not in the commodity business. I'm in the business making money. So this, I won't name this company. And I said, I said, look, man, this is about saving lives. And the amount of data, because you're a data company, the amount of data you're going to get out of these 2,000 people will be immense. 
37 cents a trip. That's my final offer. Well, I'd had a couple beers that night, uh, you know, just trying to figure out and make the deals coming. And, and I said, you know what, let me, let me write, you know, to the people who saved my life one time. And, you know, I wrote to the CEO of Abbott Laboratories, the head of the diabetes division. And I said, I, I need help and got on a call the next week with, with Jared. And he said, Phil, we're doing really well with Libre. And when you do well, you have to give back. So you caught me at a good time. You know, what do you need? And I said, well, I need tests, four to six test trips per day. He said, how many people? I said, well, it's 1,500, but at the rate it's increasing, we'll be 2,000 soon. How many years? I said, four. And he's like, so about 11,600,000 strips, give or take. I said, yeah. He goes, all right, we'll do it. And so fast forward to last year, I got to stand in Rwanda uh, with my good friend, Francois Ajishoma, the minister of health of the country, Bernard Brazolier from, from Abbott, who heads up access for Middle East and Africa, to hand over the check. And I got to meet the kids with diabetes who uh, the product had arrived earlier. So things had already changed. The kids with diabetes in Rwanda, what do you want to do? I want to be a doctor so I can help kids with diabetes. What do you want to do? I'm starting a business. And the proceeds of my business are going to go back to the Rwanda Diabetes Association and help more. So we, we've changed the world for those people in Rwanda. And the reason being is, you know, it was persistence. I put two powerful women together and we all know the massive amounts of change that can happen once you put two powerful female leaders together. And, you know, it's a different world there now. What's that mean though? It means we can do it in the rest of Africa and, and here in America. So you've done so much, you, you know, you've done the team, you got the foundation, you got super sapiens, you got all this stuff. What's next? I've spent the last 15, 16 years raising a lot of money, you know, doing a lot of leadership and hero development for people with diabetes, selling hope and inspiration. I now have a business that I'm selling a product. And so I think, you know, we, we've got to A, conquer the sporting world, you know, and help athletes out there set their personal best and records. And then my hope is that we can showcase, you know, I've got the fastest runner in the world, you know, from Africa. He run, ran this marathon and his time started with a one. So if that gives any, any clue and he's been using the technology and he's going to be using the technology as he goes and wins races and potentially gold medal. I'm going to put this, the CGM technology on a lot of these elite Af athletes in Africa so that the ministers of health in Africa see you know, how these athletes need it for performance. And my hope with that is that we can pave the way for the, the diabetes companies to go in and make a case that, you know what, if you're going to look at these athletes, the heroes of your country using this technology, then let's invest the money, you know, to get the resource so that the people with diabetes in Africa, that's what I want. I want in the next 10 years that we have made CGM so broadly accessible, so broadly you know, accepted, adapted, and just a core part of life that we brought CGM technology to the people with diabetes and in the developing worlds and just made this the new thing. You know, who's to say that, you know, it's like, as Bono said, whether you were born should not dictate whether you live or die, but for a person with diabetes, it very much does. So we've got to make CGM technology available to the world. We've got to pave the way so that the diabetic populations in Africa and other developing countries in the world can have access to it. And with everything I've ever done, I think sport is the platform that we're going to do it with. Well, listen, that's a great way to end this. Phil, I can't thank you enough. You know, it's been a pleasure. David, always good to see you. I've got the the Team Nova Nordisk 100-year anniversary of insulin kit. Those are coming to the U.S. soon. 
and you're going to be the first that I get it to. And then you're going to make us look really good when you win the David Cliff race <laughs> and whatever your sporting goals are this year. <laughs>